church. It is so great to see you. If you know it, say it with me. We are the body of Christ, called to be Jesus in every neighborhood in San Antonio and beyond. And I'm here to tell you, even this week, more and more stories are pouring in, simple stories, of how you're taking the faith that God has implanted in you up to this point and you're simply pouring it out for the love of your neighbor, simply doing for your neighbor what Christ has done for you and lives are being changed. In just a little bit later on in this service, you'll hear about our first area community that we talked about in the month of August is having their first meeting. And I'm telling you folks, whenever we begin to meet in community, out in the community, heads are going to turn for Jesus Christ. And I'm so excited about it. Now, in our journey so far down the Romans road, we've come upon two mile markers. And each of the mile markers has confronted us with a question, as well as given us practical action steps on how to move forward down the road into a relationship with God. We came to the first mile marker where we were confronted with the question, where do I stand with God? In the book of Romans chapter 1 through chapter 3 and verse 20, the apostle Paul helped us to discover that none of us was born into a right relationship with God. We are separated from him. And we act out on that reality when we act out in selfish ways and hurt the people around us. And the Bible tells us, Romans tells us, that that kind of selfish lifestyle has no place in the kingdom of God to come. It will not be allowed. And so we were invited at this first mile marker, each one of us, to ask this question and answer it honestly. Has any of us in any way hurt anyone in our lives? And if you answered yes to that question, then you have honestly completed what Paul wanted you to complete at this first mile marker. If you answered no to that question, welcome. You have just admitted it because you are a big liar. You have, in fact, hurt the people around you. Check in, clue in to reality. And here we discovered that Paul asks us, Paul invites us early on into the journey to pull the car over to the side of the road and to take stock of our lives and to declare before ourselves and mostly before God that we do not have a relationship with him. As we drove further down the Romans road, we came to mile marker number two where we stared down the question for two weeks, how do I become a Christian? Put another way, how do I come into a right standing with God? We studied Romans chapter 3, verse 21, all the way through chapter 5. And in this section, Paul gave us two practical action steps to take to enter into that right relationship with God. Step number one, take God up on his offer to transfer all of your sin, all of the guilt that you carry, all the shame that is mounted up in your life over these years, and transfer it to Christ as he hangs on the cross so that when his blood is shed, his blood which contains no sin, no virus, no contamination, and it is offered up to God the Father, God accepts it as a payment for all of your sins, past, present, and yes, even all the sins you will commit in the future. Action step number two, Paul invites us in this section to take a step of faith. 
to simply place all of our faith, all of our trust solely on the cross of Christ and his work to bring us into a right relationship with God. And when we do that, the Bible says that we are forgiven of our sins. Those of you who have made this decision, those of you maybe in the past like I did in 1974 or Max Lucado did in 1966 because he's so much older than me. (laughs) Or maybe for many of you who might have made that decision just in these last two weeks, Paul tells us in the writings of Romans that if you with a pure heart have simply entered into these three steps by faith, you have entered into a right relationship with the one eternal God and it cannot be taken away from you. Wow. Now that is good news. And it's simply called the gospel in the book of Romans. That's pretty exciting. Woo. It didn't cost you or me anything, but it cost God's son his very life. Hopefully, there is no one who is hearing or has heard these words over the last few weeks who is still holding out on taking advantage of this free gift, this only path to a right relationship with God. Well, now here you are. Hopefully, you're on the other side. Over there, there was us. Over here, there is God. Now, by faith in Christ, we are in a relationship with God. So the most obvious question to ask is now what do I do? Now what happens? Well, if you're interested in the answer to that question, now what, I want you to take your Bibles and hold them high over your head and say this prayer we've been saying since we began the Romans road journey together. Dear Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We take this journey down the Romans road together knowing the destination is you, in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. And as we open up in Romans chapter 6, we are exposed to mile marker number 3, where Paul is going to answer the question, how do I grow? How do I grow in this new relationship with God? He begins in verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? What is he saying? He is saying, now that I am on this side of the road in a relationship with God, do I keep living my life like I used to on the other side of the Romans road? Or am I supposed to do something different over here? The answer, something different. Romans chapter 6, verses 2 through 4, he goes on to say this, by no means. We die to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul says, There is a whole new way of life on this side with God. And you don't have to wait until you enter into God's eternal kingdom to begin living it, but rather you can, you should, you must begin living it today. He uses baptism to make his point. 
The idea, when we go down under the water, it symbolizes that we have been buried with Christ. And all the sins of our life, past, present, and future, are buried with him, never to be brought up in our face again before God. It's the promise of God. But when we come out of the water, it symbolizes Christ's resurrection from the dead. So we too, who have placed our faith in Christ, are raised to live a whole new life. That's why I'm so excited about next Sunday afternoon, October the 17th, as we make our trek to the Marquat Ranch. And hundreds of people, even families, friends, will together be baptized in the chilly waters of the Guadalupe River. And you will be declaring, you will be demonstrating this outward reality of an inward decision that you have made to confess Jesus alone as the sole answer for eternal life for you. When you are baptized, you are declaring outwardly, you are declaring your devotion to Christ, you're declaring your faith in practical ways to the world. Let there be no mistake, I am trusting in Christ and Christ alone. In this way, Paul gives us another action step to take. But he goes on to write in the next paragraph, chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, these words. Look at it. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now to help you understand that, I want you to look again at verse 5, and you'll see twice Paul uses the word united. The word united in the language that Paul was writing in, the Greek language, was a word used by gardeners. As a matter of fact, the word union is still used by gardeners and horticulturalists even today. The word union is used when speaking of grafting a branch into another tree. Here's the idea. There's this branch that is not producing much fruit. And the reason is, is because its branch is attached to the original trunk that it was born into. And that trunk of, of the tree is unhealthy. It is diseased. But if you take that branch and break it off, and at the place of the wound, if you will graft that branch into another trunk that is healthy over time, the nutrients of that healthy trunk will, will enter into the branch and it will produce incredible fruit. What's once produced no fruit is now producing fruit. And Paul says, so it is with our lives. Apart from God, our branch is attached to an unhealthy tree trunk. It is a trunk that is filled with disease. It is unhealthy, and as a result, as much as we'd love to produce fruit that is tasteful to the people around us, we can't seem to pull it off. But if we were to tear that branch off of that tree, and at the point of the wound, which by the way is how most of us enter into a relationship with God, a season where we have experienced a wound, a brokenness, and if at that point we are grafted into the tree, trunk of God, over time the nutrients of God begin to flow through our branches and in no time at all, at the end of our branches, we produce 
unbelievable fruit. Does that make sense? Matter of fact, he uses this same analogy in chapter 7 of Romans, verse 4. Look at it with me. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Now look at it. In order that we might bear fruit to God. This is no doubt a reference that Paul is making to a famous passage of Scripture in another one of his books that he wrote, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Look at the screen. He writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he writes, Against such things there is no law. Those who are now connected to the tree trunk of God can expect in time to produce fruit like red here in Galatians 5, and 23. But you can't get this kind of fruit by simply laying down an external law. What does it mean? You cannot write a law that says all of the people at Oak Hills will be joyful people. That's a law. Now do it. You cannot manufacture from the outside in genuine joy. Genuine joy can only be produced from the inside. As the nutrients of God flow through you, eventually the fruit of joy will emerge at the end of your branches. You see, for many of us, we haven't been able to produce that kind of fruit. On this side, we've produced more of a bitter, maybe even toxic, poisonous fruit, like the fruit of worry. I heard one guy say, I have so many troubles that if anything bad happens today, it'll be two weeks before I can worry about it. (laughs) Maybe some of you feel just like that. But on this side, you're producing the fruit of peace. Things don't get you as uptight as they once did because you are trusting God in whatever's thrown your way on a given day. You are more at peace on this side. On the other side, you were hot-tempered, impulsive, and maybe a vengeful person. If someone caught you, cut you off on the road, you would pitch a fit and might even push the accelerator down to chase them down and give them a piece of your mind you can't afford to lose. But on this side, there is a growing fruit of calm patience. As you sit there after this has been done to you, you say in your mind, it's important for us to be careful on the road. You acknowledge that in this particular case, no one got hurt, and you even confess quietly that you have made some mistakes just like this person has. And as a result of that person's looking in the rear view mirror, reading your lips, expecting to hear something else, you simply put your hand up and say, that's okay. It's a new you a fruit of patience. On the other side, you were never this way in public, but once behind closed doors with your family, you were often rough and angry and mean-spirited. But on this side, little by little, the fruit of gentleness and of joy is growing at the end of your branches. And your family members are starting to say to each other, it's a lot more fun being around this person than it used to be. On the other side, you were overcome with addictions and bad habits. 
On this side, however, there is a growing self-control and victory over the things that used to riddle you and used to ruin or maybe did ruin your relationships with family and friends. You know, I find it interesting that the people that I know today that are still holding back on crossing over into a relationship with God through faith in Christ, the number one reason that they give me if they're honest, is because they do not want to give up the things they think they're going to have to give up if they cross over to the other side. Let's be honest, okay? Let's be truthful. Sin is fun. Let's be truthful. Sin feels good in the moment. But the dirty little secret about sin, and some of you have lived it out and you know it's true, That whatever you experience in the moment that's great will ultimately be the thing that takes away your life and your relationships. That which brings you happiness now will squeeze the life literally out of you till you have nothing left. But life on this side, the kind of life that Christ is offering us today is as sweet as biting into a ripe, Fredericksburg peach. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Do you want that kind of fruitful life? Do you long for that kind of productive life lived out with your family, your co workers, your neighbors? Well, guess what? There's a problem with the vision that Paul has given us today. You can't do it. Let's pray. I'm just joking with you. I'm just joking with you. I'm not joking with you that you can't do it, but somebody like, dude, you got us all the way across to the other side of the bridge, and now you say we can't do it? Wow, that stinks. All right, let's pray and leave out here. You know, it is true, though, that you can't pull this off. But it doesn't end there, thank goodness. But before we move on, I want you to look in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. (laughs) What a great look. Everyone's okay, I guess that's it. (laughs) I'll never forget that. Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 20. Look at this with me. Paul writes, You know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. It is no, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, it is sin living in me that does it. Now that, my friends, is a tongue twister. I challenge you to read this out loud in front of a group of people and you will fail as I have. Look at verse 24, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? What's he saying? Paul is saying that even though we are now on this other side where God is, and even though we have been forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and even the ones 
that you will experience today. The truth is, when we made that decision to walk across this beam, we carried over here to this other side with us our sin nature. That same sin nature that we had over here that was ruining our lives has been brought over here to this side as well. And it is still messing with our mind. It is still messing with our decisions. It's still messing with our relationships 24-7. So now what? How can I live this way of life? Can it be done? And Paul is saying to us clearly, fix your mind on this. No, it cannot be done by you. The same way you could not enter into a relationship with God through your own effort, so you cannot sustain your relationship with God or grow in your relationship with God through your own effort alone. But there is a way. I'd like to tell you a story, a true story that's emerging by the hundreds in this congregation. When I began the series, I introduced you to a, a, a man who was sitting in our congregation for about two years as an atheist. And uh, he walked over this cross just a few weeks ago, and now he is on the other side, just beginning this new journey in relationship with God. But I talked to another guy in our congregation who has been over here now for about a year and a half. He's about my age, a little younger, but he's only been over here a year and a half. I've been on this side for over 30 years now, but he's just a year and a half into it. And we were having a conversation a couple weeks ago, and he told me about a conversation he had with his 17-year-old son that absolutely inspired me, and I thought you would want to hear it. It was in a pickup truck on their way back from the lake, and I wanted to put you in the back cab of that pickup truck and give you an idea of what his son said to him. Watch the screens. Well, Greg, this, uh, this journey for you on the other side of the Romans Road hasn't happened too long ago, has it? No, it was actually um, April 19th of 09, where we got baptized at Guadalupe River with you and Mr. Bowen. Mr. Bowen, that's pretty cool. Uh, the whole family was baptized. I remember the whole it was yesterday. So that's like yes. a year and five months ago, and, um, and and a lot has changed since then. Matter of fact, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago that you and I were together, and you said something to me about a, a conversation you had with your son. Can can you let us all in on that conversation? Yeah, it was um, coming back from the lake this summer, mm -hmm. and um, Colton and I were alone. The girls were behind us in another car, and Colton told me that he was extremely proud of me in my walk with God. Wow. And, and to hear that from a 17-year-old, uh, it, it just, that was huge. That's a pretty big deal. That's a motivator, yes. isn't it, to see your son just be really proud of you. I want, Colton, I want to kind of kind of peek into your uh, conversation with your dad that day. Tell us, uh, tell us uh, a little bit about the uh, Greg Boland dad uh, before uh, the river. Well, um, Greg, the Greg Boland dad before the river was kind of kind of a hothead, mm -hmm. um, quick to anger. He's he's just um, just just like he wasn't happy as much as he is now, uh -huh. and like you could definitely tell because if he had a bad day when he came home, like everyone would know it's kind of bad because like me and my mom, my sister would be like, okay, stay away from dad, he's having a bad day. Kind of walking on eggshells and things like that. Because it doesn't make that a great environment to be, a, uh, no, to be around. No, it's not, not very homey. Yeah, yeah. But now, but, but you obviously have seen a difference in your dad 
it, it, tell, tell us a little bit about the difference in, in your dad's life since then. Well, my dad, um, he's a lot more mellow now, a lot. Um, he laughs a lot more, which is a lot more fun. Like, I didn't really like going on the golf course much with him. Yeah. Back before that, yeah. it's like, he'd hit a bad shot and I might say something, that was it. Like, uh -huh. but, um, <laughs> but now he's just like, he's, he's such, so much more of a happier guy. And, I remember he was telling me this one story mm -hmm. about um, one day at work, this guy got in an argument with my mom. Mm -hmm. My dad was there, and um, this guy, I could tell, by the way, my dad explained him was not, not a very good-looking guy, and, not like, and he just really made my dad angry, but my dad actually sat back and watched my mom and let my mom handle it, which the old Greg would have not done that. He might have done something pretty aggressive, right? Yeah, probably would have bowed up and gotten his face. Yeah. And, Said some not. What are what are some other things that are happening in the house that are different now? Um, well, um, we've seen like these past few years, we seem to be praying like a lot more as a family, mm -hmm. which is really nice. Um, every meal, we used to not pray before meals at all. Mm -hmm. um, even if we're like going on a long trip or something, we'll pray before that, or we're like first weekend out on the boat, we'll pray and stuff like that. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. And for you as a teenager, it's so, it's great, isn't it? To, yeah, to say you're being raised in a Christian home. Yeah, it's very nice to say that. It's it's awesome to be able to look up to my dad in that way. Yeah, you're looking up to him and you, and you actually said to him, I'm proud of you, dad. Yes. It's, it's, uh, Absolutely. And so how does that make you feel, Greg? I mean, like you're on top of the world. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's never too late to change. Yeah. Um, and the walk is an exciting walk, and and it just brings a lot of peace. It, it really does. Yeah. So for you, a lot of times people will say, you know, on the other side of the Romans Road, I, I you know, the, my way of life over here is is uh, is, is done my way, and uh, and it's uh, and it, it's really working for me, and they don't want to give that up. But what would you like to say to them that about life on the other side? Well, if you think it's working for you on the other side. Just wait until you cross. Yeah. Because when God's in your life, there's nothing that can't be done. Yeah. So and that and, and that is so true. Yeah. I mean, just just it it's with his time, it's with his power. Um, you ask for his guidance, he guides you. Um, you're not you just it's hard to explain, but it, it is just a great feeling. Yeah, and you're just early on in the journey, so the best is yet to come. Uh, Very much as, so. As you, as you raise your family and walk with God and love on your wife and just follow Him every single day, what would you like to say to your son? Buddy, I'm proud of you too. Thanks. And there you go. It doesn't get any better than that, folks. I mean, it's one thing for a mom or a dad to turn to their child and say that you're proud of them, but for a 17-year-old boy to turn to his dad in the privacy of the pickup truck and say, Dad, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for your walk with God. It doesn't get any better than that. And Greg Bolin has made a choice for his family that is going to change the outcome of his family. He's raising his family and his children in the instruction of the Lord. If we can get a million more Greg Bolins game over, we win. Satan loses. That's the journey that we're on. 
something that really touches me personally about that story is that uh, I grew up in an unchurched home. And I went to church Sunday mornings, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Anytime the doors were open, I sat in these chairs and I would always look around me and there were these families sitting together. And I always sat alone. And something I very seldom told anybody is that many nights I would go back home again and in my bed I would cry because there's nothing more I wanted in all of the world than to be led spiritually by my father. But it never happened for me. As a matter of fact, when my dad was 67 years old at the death of my mother through pancreatic cancer, I had the opportunity as his son to share with him the good news and for whatever reason that day he listened. But as for me, I never got the one wish of my life. But I wish it for you. It's never too late to change. The kind of fruitful life that Greg Bowling is beginning to experience just a year and a half into his journey is not bitter. It's not toxic. It's not poisonous. But it is sweet. So you ask the question, what did he do? The better question is, who did he rely on? Next week when we come back together again, Romans chapter 8, I'm going to let you in on one of the best secrets of the Christian life and how it can actually be lived on this side of heaven. Are you interested? To have a life that is so fruitful, it's as sweet as biting into a ripe Fredericksburg peach. And all the church said, <laughs>